You're listening to Comedy Central. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah. Today is Monday, the 5th of October. And if you live in Arizona, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Kentucky, Mississippi, Ohio, or Texas, the deadline to register to vote in this election is midnight tonight, people. So if you're watching this live and you haven't registered, you have less than an hour to register. What are you waiting for? Go! Go to the site below and register to vote right now. This is your last chance. Actually, this show is really funny, so maybe watch the show first and then register. You can register. No, you know what? You don't have the time. Just like, pause. Pause the show, go register to vote real quick, and then come back and watch the show. But don't get distracted and do something else, because sometimes I go and I pause, and then I come back, and then my DVR is like, yo, you left for too long. You have to come back. You promised me you'd come back, because I'll be so pissed if you don't come back. You better come back. Anyway, we got a ton of news to catch up on today, so let's do this, people. Welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world. This is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. All right, people, let's kick things off with the only story anyone is talking about. The Miami Heat beat the Lakers. Yo, did you see that? Jimmy Butler was insane. Triple-double, 40 points, yo. (laughs) Obviously, I'm joking. The real big news this weekend was in the Premier League. Man United lost 6-1, and then Liverpool 7-2 to Aston Villa. Aston Villa? That would be like if the Dallas Cowboys got beaten by the Cleveland Browns. I mean, that was the craziest news. All right, but for real though, for real though, obviously, there's only one story that anyone in the world cares about right now. Breaking news, the president tests positive for the coronavirus, revealing his diagnosis in a late night tweet, saying he and the first lady have COVID-19 and will quarantine immediately. Breaking overnight, President Trump this morning at Walter Reed Medical Center. The president's medical team is insisting he's doing well and is receiving doses of the experimental drug remdesivir and steroids. His doctors are also saying he could be released from the hospital as early as today. That's right, people. Donald J. Trump, president of the United States, is battling COVID-19. And before I say anything else, can I just say on the record, I do not want Donald Trump to die from this. I mean, I don't wish death on anyone, and especially not Donald Trump. I don't want him to lose his life. I want him to lose an election. I also don't want him to die because then Mike Pence would be president. And then we might as well be dead because Mike Pence is the most boring human being on the planet. He's the most boring version of Donald Trump. All of the policies and none of the fun. If Trump is cocaine, Mike Pence is just flour. Your nose is still gonna burn, but nothing cool happens. (sniffs) Ah, ah, that tastes like bread. I also don't want Trump to die because the whole reason people chose Joe Biden is because he has the best chance to beat Donald Trump. If Trump wasn't in the race, then people could have taken a chance with someone else. Like personally, I would have voted for Marion Williamson because I do think America needs to realign its chakras. Yes, I know I'm not allowed to vote, but I'm still allowed to dream. But while it's great that the president is doing better, we still have to ask the question, how did this happen and how did it get this bad? Well, to be honest, the way Trump has handled the country's coronavirus response is unfortunately also how he's handled this pandemic in his personal life, starting with his brazen disregard for all the safety precautions that keep the virus from spreading. 
Few masks, one very crowded Rose Garden. The question, was this a super spreader event that's led to the White House coronavirus crisis? Last weekend's packed and mostly maskless Rose Garden ceremony for his Supreme Court pick may have been a super spreader event. Those now infected include the president, first lady, former aide Kellyanne Conway, former New Jersey governor Chris Christie, who is hospitalized, Senators Mike Lee and Tom Tillis, as well as the president of Notre Dame. President Trump's senior aide Hope Hicks, his campaign manager Bill Stepien, and personal assistant Nick Luna are also infected. The White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany says she tested positive for coronavirus this morning. Senator Mike Lee seen on camera hugging other attendees. We have uh, some images of the indoor reception and it's so striking. Yeah. And you'll see, um, and you see the little red dot, that shows who subsequently tested positive. So as you walk through them, you start to see the mixing and mingling. Yeah, turns out while you've spent the last seven months hugging your grandma through a giant condom, Trump and his friends are having no-mask cocktail receptions indoors with a guest of honor is COVID-19. And now, at least 30 people in Trump's circle have tested positive for COVID-19. You realize that means there's been more infections at the White House over the last day than in New Zealand, Vietnam, Taiwan, Thailand, and Australia combined. The White House Rose Garden is like the wet market of America right now. Thank God Dr. Fauci doesn't have it. He must be so relieved that Trump stuffed him in a locker three months ago. I mean, I don't care who you are, guys. This story is insane. Everyone, from Trump's campaign manager to Trump's press secretary to Trump's friends have been infected with coronavirus now. It's almost like the writers of 2020 didn't know how to wrap the story up. So they were just like, uh, and then they all get coronavirus, the end. And look, I know some people are saying that this was karma catching up to Trump, but guys, a massive outbreak at the White House is not karma its consequences, all right? It's not karma to get hit by lightning when you're standing on the roof of a skyscraper holding a metal rod while there's lightning. The universe didn't do that shit to you. You did that shit to yourself. Now, it's bad enough that Trump has put the entire White House in danger before he knew there was a virus outbreak. But what's even more disturbing is that after Trump found out that he could have been exposed to the virus, he didn't quarantine, he didn't social distance. He carried on with his life with complete disregard for other people's lives. There is evidence of disregard for the health and safety of others. President Trump would have likely been contagious for up to two days prior to his positive test. That means anyone he had contact with at Tuesday's debate or Wednesday's rally in Minnesota could be at risk. Contact tracing is underway this morning for more than 200 people who may have been exposed to the coronavirus at a New Jersey fundraiser for President Trump last Friday. The president traveled to the fundraiser despite the White House knowing before he left Washington that a closed aide had tested positive for the virus. It would also be uh, irresponsible, of course, for the president to have been going to a rally in Minnesota uh, on Wednesday night and then proceeding to a fundraiser in Bedminster on Thursday. I don't care what anyone says, man. This is truly despicable. Trump knew that he could be infected and he put his own supporters at risk anyway. And I feel so bad for anyone who paid money to attend this fundraiser because those people didn't want COVID. They just wanted to give Trump enough money so that he'd let them dump chemicals in a river. Why should something bad happen to them? And not only did Trump keep his exposure to coronavirus a secret from his donors, but get this, the Trump campaign also never told the Biden campaign about any of it, even though they had just been debating a few feet apart while Trump was likely contagious, which honestly is surprising. 
I thought that if anyone would know the protocol for informing partners that you may have infected them, it would be Donald J. Trump. In fact, this is probably the first national security secret that Trump has actually managed to keep a secret. He won't tell you he might have COVID, but brief him about a new weapons system. And on Twitter, he'll be like, we got a new missile that's totally unstoppable unless you know the secret code is 32495. Hash, hash, pound, pound, pound. And if downplaying the virus was on brand for Trump, well, so was what came next. A blizzard of dubious medical information, vague promises, and self-serving lies. The president's doctors and White House officials have been giving confusing and conflicting information about the president's condition all weekend. On Saturday, White House Dr. Sean Conley repeatedly dodging questions about whether the president was so sick he needed oxygen. Yesterday and today, he was not on oxygen. Thursday, no oxygen, none at this moment. Yeah, and yesterday with the team, uh, while, while we were all here, he was not on oxygen. But now, Conley says he did actually administer oxygen to the president on Friday at the White House after his blood oxygen dropped. I was trying to reflect the, the, uh, the upbeat attitude that the team, the president, that his course of illness has had. Um, I didn't want to give uh, any, uh, any information that might uh, steer the, uh, the course of illness in another direction. Um, and in doing so, uh, you know, it came off uh, that we were trying to hide something, which wasn't necessarily true. Conley also caused confusion by suggesting the president was initially diagnosed Wednesday. The White House later claimed Conley misspoke. And Chief of Staff Mark Meadows has also contradicted himself. He has mild symptoms. Saying that Friday and then admitting the very next day that in fact the president's vital signs had been very concerning and we are still not on a clear path to a full recovery. Do we have an accurate picture of how the president is doing? Well, the answer is no. I'm going to be honest here. I feel bad for this doctor. Yeah, I, I know, I know. Because guys, in all his years at medical school, the one thing he probably never learned was how to bullshit an entire country. Think about it. On one side, you've got the public asking for information on the president's health. And on the other side, you have your patient, the president himself, who wants you to go out and tell everyone that he karate chopped the virus until it died. And once again, people, we're reminded, it doesn't matter who you are. If you come into contact with Donald Trump, at some point, you're gonna have to lie. Doctors, national security advisors, press secretaries, lawyers, yo, I pray that I'm never on a flight with Trump because that pilot will be out here lying like a muff. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're landing as planned in the uh, middle of the ocean, and I uh, just want to thank President Trump personally for opening the emergency door mid-flight and letting in a nice, cool breeze. So right now, as it stands, there's been so much deception from the White House that even though Trump is leaving the hospital, we just don't know what condition the president is in right now. Because while Trump's spin team is painting a rosy picture of his health, outside experts say all the medications that Trump is being given suggest that he's not doing that well. But then again, there's also the possibility that Trump doesn't need all the drugs he's getting. He just wants them, and the doctors are too afraid to say no. Give me all the pills, all the oxygen, and while you're at it, give me a boob job. Because people, these drugs are no joke. Like for instance, just the steroid that he's on, Dexamethasone is wild. Like, listen to this. They say it can cause bad side effects like confusion, delirium, mania, irritability, mood swings, and feelings of grandiose grandiosity. I wish sure Trump wasn't already taking the steroids. So just like his handling of coronavirus as a whole, Trump's handling of his own brush with corona 
has been marked by secrecy, deception, and just generally ignoring science like it's one of his children. And one other thing that has remained consistent is that, as always, the thing Trump cares most about is how he looks. The president himself tries to project an image of recovery, releasing photos and video taken inside Walter Reed. It's been a very interesting journey. I learned a lot about COVID. Overnight, the White House released these photos of President Trump appearing to work in the makeshift office set up at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. You see the one taken at the conference table and one from the presidential suite where he filmed last night's update. Editor-in-chief of the Air Current, John Osterauer, says that he took a closer look at the data embedded in the photos and found while the photos appear to have been taken over some extended period of time, they were actually just 10 minutes apart. Critics of the president are questioning the authenticity of these photos, pointing to the blank piece of paper he appears to be signing with a Sharpie. Yes. Basically, Trump staged these photos just to make it seem like he was busy at work. So what we have here is a rare case of pics and it didn't happen. Then again, maybe Trump wasn't busted at all. Maybe this turned out exactly as they intended. Okay, Mr. President, we're gonna take some photos of you now, so just do what you normally do in the Oval Office. Oh, you guys mean pretend work? Okay, got it. Scribble, 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 policy. Policy, scribble, Iraq. So, that's how Trump's been handling life with coronavirus. And, you know, I guess in some weird way, it's nice to know that he doesn't treat America any differently than the way he treats himself. But there is one big difference, though. Unlike most Americans, Trump has access to the best treatments possible and a world-class medical team looking after him, both at the hospital and back at home at the White House. I mean, look at this group of doctors that was involved in Trump's care. It looks like the part of a movie when the scientists announce that they've made contact with the space creature. Nobody else gets that many doctors. So, considering what he went through and how much work it took to treat him, some people had a glimmer of hope, just a glimmer, that maybe Donald Trump would come out of this thing with a new appreciation for how serious this disease is. Maybe he'd come out with a new commitment to getting it under control. And that hope lasted all of two days. President Trump has just tweeted to the world that he will be leaving Walter Reed Medical Center a short time from now at 6.30 p.m. Eastern, he says. The president in his Twitter announcement writing, quote, don't be afraid of COVID. Don't let it dominate your life. We have developed under the Trump administration some really great drugs and knowledge. I feel better than I did 20 years ago. Yeah, that's right, America. Don't be afraid of COVID and don't let it dominate your life. Because as long as you can take your private helicopter from your home hospital to an even better hospital, you'll be great. Oh, and by the way, to the 200,000 Americans who got COVID and don't feel better than they did 20 years ago, I guess that's on you. All right, we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll have more on the infection heard around the world and Jason Momoa joins us on the show. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. There's no denying that every single one of us is still reeling over the news that President Trump has COVID-19. I mean, one of the biggest places to see the panic is online. So I figured, let's get another perspective from someone who's an expert in online, Jabuki Young-White. Jabuki, what's going on, man? Hello, Trevor, how's it going? What do you make of President Trump's diagnosis? <sighs> I'm not gonna lie, Trevor, I'm pissed. Like, I understand that he's sick, but that's just how I feel. That's just how I feel. 
You know what? I hear you, Jabuki. Um, many Americans are angry with the president because they feel like he was irresponsible with his health and with the health of those around him. And now he's not only endangering his own life, but threatening the operation of the entire federal government. Nah, dude. Like, I mean, yeah, but no. Like, I'm pissed because he is overshadowing the most important news story right now. Melania Trump hates Christmas. <laughs> she hates Christmas. What? I, I don't remember that. You don't remember? Of course you wouldn't remember it. You don't remember. It's because it was announced like two hours before it dropped that they both had COVID. So of course you don't remember. But she did. She said it. Look. Turning now to secret audio tapes just released of First Lady Melania Trump. She apparently goes on a profanity-laced rant about Christmas decorations. They say I'm, I'm complicit. I'm the same like him. I support him. I don't no. say enough. I don't do enough. No. It's, where, it's, where I am, they, I put the, I'm working like a ass my ass. I know. Christmas stuff that, you know, who gives a f about Christmas stuff and decoration, but I need to do it, right? Oh, man. I totally forgot that story. That shit was crazy. It turns out Melania hates putting up Christmas decorations at the White House. Yo, it <laughs> was the greatest news story of all time, Trevor. I love it so much. I made it my ringtone. Wait, listen. Who gives a f about Christmas stuff and decoration? <laughs> this makes not answering phone calls so much more fun. Like yesterday when you called me 11 times. Jabuki, that, that was for work. I know. But you know what's the worst part about this getting buried, Trevor? I had so many jokes about it. Like, now I understand why her holiday decorations look like she murdered Christmas. Also, um, I know why Melania hates Santa. Because she already got an old fat white man crawling into her room once a year. <laughs> that one needs a little work. Oh, this was going to be, I had an act out plan too. It was going to be like this. Why don't you ever give me what I want, Santa Trump? A divorce. The accent is not there yet, but I was going to practice it. Yeah, you know what? I, I hear you, Jabuki, but I feel like Melania hating Christmas as a story just, it doesn't seem important right now. I know, Trevor, but it's just not fair. Like, could you imagine if Michelle Obama had been caught saying that she hates Christmas? The Fox News building would have exploded with semen. But instead, it's them. The people who came after Starbucks because they didn't say Merry Christmas are now silent when their first lady said, fuck Christmas. You know what else? I was going to start a new holiday. You know that, Trevor? I was going to call it fuck Christmas. It's when families got together and listened to the Melania fuck Christmas tape and said, fuck Christmas. But now we can't fuck Christmas because Trump got COVID. Well, also because Melania is sick. Right, right, right. Uh, well, you know, I guess we don't want to be mean to Melania when she's sick. Feel better, Melania. We're rooting for you. Well, well, look, I mean, maybe the Trumps will get better soon, and then everyone can go back to the story. You're just trying to make me feel better, Trevor. I see what you're doing. It's not going to work. Christmas is ruined. Now all that we have is regular Christmas. Who the likes Christmas? Who the likes regular Christmas? Who gives a about Christmas stuff and decoration. Oh, sorry, <laughs> that's me. Who gives a oh, about Christmas stuff and I got a call now to accept. Yeah, I'm gonna have to not take this. So I gotta go. Is that cool? Christmas stuff All right, and decoration. talk to you later.
Peace, Trev. Nice talking to you. Wait, why would you have to go if you're not gonna... You know what, never mind. Bye, bye, Jibuki. It's time for us to take a short break, but don't go away. Because when we come back, I'll be speaking to Aquaman himself, Jason Momoa. Stick around. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with action star and activist Jason Momoa. We talked about his new documentary that tells the story of Native American communities reclaiming their food and land. <laughs> What's up, buddy? What's going on, Jason? How you doing? I'm awesome, but not really. I'm in quarantine and I'm going out of my mind. Jason Momoa is one of the biggest stars in the world, so you're getting back to work. But you, before you get back to work, you have to, like in Canada, for instance, you have to sit for two weeks at home. You can't leave the house. I think they, they, they threaten you. It's a $750,000 fine is it if really? you leave. Yeah, if you leave the house before that two weeks is up. Canada is taking it seriously, Jason. So they are. What, are you, what? what are you doing? What are you doing Guys, to stay sane? No one's got any problems up here. Everybody's like clean and good and that's back to normal. I mean, everyone's wearing masks, but I mean, it looks nice from the right, house. Right. But most of my friends, they're in like hotels where they can't even go out. I mean, I got a small little yard, but yeah, I haven't, you know, I haven't been in a, a place that's not my home quarantine. It's, it's kind of gnarly. It is. It is. What are you doing to stay sane? I, I feel like there's a motorbike behind you. And I was like, that, I was like. Yeah, I'm looking at a bike that I can't ride. It's <laughs> painful. I mean, I'm, I'm playing music. There's a bunch of like, I don't know. Can we move this computer or no? So, you know, I'll show you my little spot. I'm listening to music, and then there's, I brought my guitars. Okay, okay, okay. And so I'm going to learn how to play stand-up bass. All right, all right, all right. That's my new learn how to play stand-up bass, and I'm going to learn how to play mandolin. How many instruments do you currently play? I play guitar, I play bass, I'm learning drums. I want to learn trumpet too, but I didn't bring that. My daughter's learning trumpet. Damn. But uh, that's, that's what kind of keeps me sane. I didn't get to grow up with a lot of instruments, right. so I'm right. making up for lost time. I feel like you're the one person who was designed for this. Do you feel like you were you, you were ready for this moment? Does it, you know, has it thrown uh, you off as much as it has anyone else? I was really ready for is a, is a nice reset. I mean, I think it's really beautiful. Um, I never get to be home. So I got to be home with my babies and and they're 11 and 13. So it was a very beautiful time to be home. Right. And also a lot, a lot of work on myself and me and my wife. We've been in the 14 years. It's been a beautiful time to like just work on us because I spent years trying to build a career where I actually did stuff that I love to do, which now wow. I have that career. It was not the case 22 years ago. Yeah. So. It's just been good to be home. And now I'm back to work. And it's kind of sad because my kids can't come up to see me because they have to do two weeks quarantine. Right. So it's the first time I've ever been away from my family for this long. So, Jason Momoa, a lot of people know you as an action star. I mean, you know, whether it's being a breakout star in Game of Thrones, whether it's, uh, you know, leading the front line of shows on Apple TV with C, whether it's, um, you know, just like blowing up the box office with Aquaman. Jason Momoa is an action star. This project that we're going to be talking about today is a little different. It's a lot of heart, a lot of pain, and a lot of hope. Tell me about the documentary Gather and why Jason Momoa decided that this, this film needed to be made. Well, I think the, what you brought up, just being known as like an action star, you know, it's a misconception of 
who I am. Even going back to my first film that I directed, it had to deal with um, the atrocities that were happening on Native American reservations. Um, I've made it my duty in many ways and in my art and my companies to kind of fight for justice and uh, bring to the forefront things that are my concerns. And I think the, all the roles that I play, people kind of can think of me in a, in a different way. But, yeah, you know, when Gather came by, there's those things are happening to even my own people in Hawaii or just the, the things that have been happening and, and what has happened to our ancestors and the disconnection between uh, our, our ancestries and, 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 our, and our traditions our food source. And so this film is extremely beautiful. And I, if I can use my platform in any way to be able to bring something that's an honest human film and in true history and explanation to what has happened to so many of so many indigenous cultures, right. I'm, I'm all on board. So when I saw it blew my hair back, you know, I've seen it about five times. I love it. I just watched it again so that I could be with you. And I, I mean, have you had a chance to watch it? Man, I, I, can I tell you something? I learned things watching it that I, I didn't know. I, I feel like any great documentary does that. Any great documentary, you know, sharpens up the things you do know, but then it'll always open your eyes to an aspect of an issue that you genuinely never knew before. What a lot of people may not know is how decimating their food supply was one of the things that the colonialists did to destroy Native American populations. Decimating their food you know, polluting the way they eat, restricting them from living the way they lived. And you see those effects still affecting those communities today. And, and that's what you show in the documentary, which I found really fascinating. I mean, and how it ripples out. I mean, like it, it relates to even my own culture, which is obesity and like just shipping all the, the, the crap food that's coming over on boats when we were, you know, we were island earth. We were, we were 100% by ourselves in the middle of the ocean. I just find it that it's so disconnected from the natural food source that it's beautiful to be able to share a little bit of that and be a part of something like this. So, I mean, I, I definitely, I'm very thankful that you watched it because um, sometimes people don't get to do that. So I'm, I'm very thankful for that, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful film that um, I want to get out to the world. You showcase people who are putting forth solutions. You know, you, you're putting indigenous peoples in front of the camera. This isn't one of those stories where like, the documentary filmmaker or the executive producer makes it about themselves. This is a story about the people. We follow these amazing people who are saying, here's how we can combine science with our traditions. Here's how we can move into the future. Here's how we can claim back our food supply. Why do you think it was so important for you to make sure that this film centered itself around those heroes as opposed to just you telling their story? I mean, that's the best part about this thing, like being involved because it comes directly from there. I felt like I was getting I felt like I was growing and getting therapy uh, and the experience within the tribe. I mean, that's what's beautiful about it is it's truly amazing filmmaking. And also the, the director, just the way that he unfolds it in his storytelling process. So, I, I mean, that's what makes just a great documentary in general. Before I let you go, um, I'm worried about you in quarantine. I know how crazy that can be. Here's my suggestion. You play music. I say you should do like a free concert every day, even if it's for 30 minutes with people live online. You like being in quarantine though. I feel like you like <laughs> it. I feel like you've been loving it. I was born in quarantine, Jason. You claim quarantine. I was born in quarantine. Nah, man, you know what? I, 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 I grew up stuck in the house, partly because of apartheid, partly because my grandmother was afraid to let me go outside. So 
I mean, I'm used to it, but I don't think I'm used to anything that's happening in the world. So uh, stay strong, man. Stay strong. Stay healthy. I'm looking forward to giving you a hug one of these days. Yeah. <laughs> Deal, my friend. Don't ever threaten me with a hug, Jason. I'll take you up on it. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you very much, everyone. Cheers. All right, when we come back, I'll be talking to the multi-talented Cat Graham. Stick around. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. So earlier today, I spoke with actor and musician Kat Graham. We talked about her work with the United Nations to help refugees and her latest film directed by RZA, Cutthroat City. Kat Graham, welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Trevor Noah, thank you for having me, kind of. Um, you are one of the most talented people I know, easily. I mean, actress, uh, singer, dancer, uh, you know, human rights activist. And now, once again, you're embarking on a journey that is sure to blow people's minds, which is being a part of RZA's third film, which seems like it's gonna be a blockbuster because, I mean, the cast alone is crazy. You're gonna be, it's, it's T.I., Ethan Hawke, Shamik Moore, um, who, who am I forgetting? I've, Wesley Snipes. Yeah, yeah. Terrence Howard. Howard. Pretty beastie, pretty beastie right? cat, yeah. Tell me a little bit about the movie and what this experience has been like. The movie was wild because we actually shot it in the Ninth Ward in New Orleans. And, uh, that was not something that I necessarily thought was going to happen, but it really brought to life everything we were trying to make and the stories we were trying to tell. It, it really brought it home. Um, working with RZA was so different because I'd never worked with um, anyone like him he's like a ninja you know and <laughs> and because he's an artist too you know you really get that he really goes with the vibe you know sometimes directors over direct he really like let us go with the flow right 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 yeah the story seems to be a heist movie you know you think oh i'm getting into a straight up action movie but then you come to realize that almost like one of the bad guys in the movie is katrina we're dealing with people who are reacting to that disaster and although the story is set 15 years ago it feels unfortunately rarely applicable to what's happening today. We really, really focus on the neglect that happens within marginalized communities. And you really see the parallel of, of what is happening currently and, you know, the black community not getting the kind of support, getting the kind of funding, not getting even accountability um, given to them for for what they're experiencing and and it just i'm so glad that i was a part of this movie um i feel like it really is gonna help a lot of people and i think it gives a lot of um clarity to what a lot of communities are experiencing you, you're not just a performer you've always been somebody who has who has really spent a lot of time working to bring to the fore issues that communities around the world face. You know, I, I, I first remember seeing your work with um, the UN Refugee Agency. But as somebody who's been traveling around the world, dealing with communities that have been decimated in many ways, what do you think we could be doing collectively right now to help not just our immediate community, but people out there around the world where it feels like the situation is helpless? You actually do a really great job of that um, because you're so international too and also your background and your biracial and I think where you come from really does play a huge part in the journey that you take and for me you know on both sides of my family um, whether it's the Holocaust on my mom's side or you know the Liberian Civil War on my father's side 
both of my grandparents were were fleeing and became refugees. And that naturally, my devotion to the refugee agency, I believe, stems from, from this place of wanting to protect uh, people because I needed protection, my family needed protection. Um, what's really important that we can all do is is whether it's just following um, the UNHCR or just really paying attention to what's happening globally, especially with COVID-19. I mean, we're talking about South Sudan, Syria, Yemen are on the people that are fleeing for their lives are on the brink of starvation because they're not getting uh, access to the kinds of uh, support that they need right now. So it's really important that we keep our focus on remembering that we are all together in this. Um, and that we're all one community and changing the way people perceive refugees, changing the stigma, changing the resettlement stigma, you know, really working through that idea, I think is really important and valuable right now, crucial right now, really. You, you recently did a, um, a Vogue beauty secrets video. I try and watch those videos. I try and keep up with contouring to see what's happening in the world. But was it, what I wasn't expecting was to watch a video where at the end, all of a sudden you flip it and you turn this seemingly benign topic into a conversation about black women, black women's beauty, how the industry has portrayed black women and what we can do to protect not just the, 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 the image of black beauty, but also the sanctity of being a black woman who has natural hair. Please walk me through that process. Wait, did, you, did you plan to trick us from the beginning? You know, with everything that was going on, that is going on currently in the world, um, with all the racism and you know, the lack of protection for black women and the lack of acceptance um, in Hollywood in a lot of ways of not really profiling, highlighting, celebrating, you know, different kinds of black women. For me, you know, it wasn't until I actually started to really accept myself and, and really understand what would make me tick and what would make me move was I actually coming into my own power. I think if you accept, if you come from a difficult childhood, if you, if you accept that you come from um, a, a broken home, if you accept that you come from um, an industry that tells you that you are not black enough, but you're also not white enough, that you fit in everywhere and you fit in nowhere, and you understand that that is something that you have to walk with, then you have just a different kind of power. You have a different kind of voice. You know, and I want to be a voice for the voiceless. That's why I'm working with the refugee agency. That's why I'm doing films like Cutthroat City. And, um, you know, I, I hope that even through my fashion, even though it's sometimes fashion can seem so trivial that I can right, actually, right. I can do something with it, you know, inspire some, some girls to, to be out with your fro. I think you're doing that and much, much more. Kat Graham, thank you so much for joining yeah, on the sure. show. Yeah. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, the deadline to register to vote is coming up in many states. If you haven't registered yet, or aren't sure if you have, well, time is running out to make sure that you can vote in November. All you need to do is go to votevotevote.com to check your registration status and see your voting options. Until tomorrow, though, stay safe out there, wear a mask, and remember, steroids can make you feel better than you actually are. Just a general tip for no one in particular. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more.
This has been a Comedy Central podcast. <laughs>